This episode of Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by Hills. At Hills, their decades of science and research guide the company in creating nutrition that's a step ahead, so pets and pet parents can enjoy every day together. As the U.S.'s number one veterinarian-recommended pet food brand, knowledge is Hills' first ingredient, with more than 220 veterinarians, Ph.D. nutritionists, and food scientists working to develop breakthrough innovations in pet health. Hills Prescription Diet, Therapeutic Nutrition, plus the company's everyday foods, Hills Science Diet, Hills Healthy Advantage, and Hills Bioactive Recipe are sold at vet clinics and pet specialty retailers worldwide. For more information about Hills, their products, or their forward-thinking approach to nutrition, visit them at hillspet.com or hillsvet.com, or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. We're chatting with illustrator, author, and pet lover extraordinaire Lily Chin on this episode of Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I am Sierra Howe. And I am Dave Shapiro. And yes, indeed, welcome to the program. We got a good one for you this week. Not like the other ones were bad, but like this <laughs> one's better. And we're uh, going to get right into it. Yeah, we're going to jump right into it because we got a lot info. to talk about. So here we go. Let's go do some pet news. First up, lightning strikes a home in Tangerine, Florida and sparks a fire in the roof, which then spreads to the rest of the house. Joel Rosa is fast asleep in a house on fire. His dog, Maggie, barks and barks and barks until finally she gets him to wake up. They make their way through the burning home to safety as firefighters arrive. They battle the blaze, getting it under control for a while, losing control of it, and then finally putting it out. Eventually, the 7,000-square-foot, two-story home was 80% damaged by fire and partially collapsed. But Joel's just happy Maggie didn't give up on him and helped him get to safety. She's my hero, he told a local news crew. I love my dog, and you know, it's amazing. She saved my life. Pretty fantastic stuff. I know. And when I was reading this, I just kept thinking, imagine if he didn't have his dog. Yeah. If yeah. he was home alone, like he probably wouldn't have made it out. Yeah. And next up, new research suggests that those big puppy dog eyes your dog gives you may have evolved specifically to get you to care about them. A new detailed analysis from the University of Portsmouth, first of its kind, comparing the anatomy and behavior of dogs and wolves, shows that since their evolutionary paths diverged only 33,000 years ago, a drop in the bucket in the world of evolutionary biology, dogs have developed a small muscle called AU101 that allows them to intensely raise their inner eyebrow, exposing more of the whites of their eyes, giving them puppy dog eyes. Dr. Julianne Kaminsky, who led the research team, says the findings suggest that expressive eyebrows in dogs may be a result of humankind's unconscious preferences that influence selection during domestication. In other words, the dogs that had this trait were preferred over dogs that didn't. And so, of course, the dog's evolution was influenced by their growing relationship with humans. Kaminsky's previous research showed that when humans are present, dogs move their eyebrows significantly more than when they're alone. She says... Quote, the AU-101 movement is significant in the human-dog bond because it might elicit a caring response from humans, but might also create the illusion of a human-like communication. This is cute. It's I'm not surprised. Cute. No, I was glad that I found this one. Um, I know. Yeah. It, I was like, this has Dave written all over it. <laughs> it's really the type of thing that I go, I go nuts for. Um, but that's crazy. You just don't think about things like this every day. So. Yeah, and it's really, the, you know, the, they're talking about how um, – it, it really is 
um, not very long that dogs and wolves diverge from each other. So it is a huge deal for them to develop this muscle that quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really incredible stuff. But speaking of incredible stuff, why don't we go talk to Lily Chin? I'm excited. We've been fans of Lily Chin for a long time. Her wonderful, expressive illustrations of dogs and cats get to the heart of animal behavior, making it easy for folks to better understand the myriad visual signals that pets use to communicate with us. In addition to her own illustrations and products and projects, she creates infographics for dog training professionals, veterinarians, behaviorists, and animal welfare groups who advocate for humane animal training methods. Her book, Doggy Language, A Dog Lover's Guide to Understanding Your Best Friend, came out last fall, and I personally think it's just an absolute delight. Lily Chin, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. So, all right. So first off, how did you get started in illustration? What's your What's your background? I know you worked in animation. Was that your initial plan to work in animation? Okay. So I have been drawing ever since I was a kid. I grew up in Malaysia, which is where I was born. Mm-hmm. And I always loved drawing since I was very little. And uh, I wanted some sort of career involving drawing or art, but at the time I didn't know what I wanted to do or how I would apply that sort of desire to draw. Um, and in my 20s, I, you know, I realized that I could, you know, intern an animation company and learn the skills and work in animation, which is what I was obsessed with at the time. And so, so that was my original plan to be an animator, mm-hmm. but things didn't quite work out the way I planned. Um, I started a little studio, a little animation company with my, with a partner and we sold an animated series to Warner brothers in uh, Los Angeles, which is, which was kind of how my plan to become an animator didn't quite work out because we mm-hmm. sold this show. And then I moved to LA and then um, I didn't actually do any animating on the show, but right. I was a, produ- a co-producer and a designer and co-creator. And that went for three seasons, Mucha Lucha. Yeah. And when that ended, we made a little movie and we did a bit more animation work. And then, um, you know, we, we broke up. My partner and I broke up. We're still good friends, but mm-hmm. the animation company broke up. And... We kind of went our separate ways, and I started illustrating and adopted my dog, Boogie, got into drawing dogs. Mm -hmm. But at first, it wasn't a career move. It was just for fun. It was um, more like a fundraiser for Boston Buddies Rescue, and Mm -hmm. I was drawing people's dogs in exchange for their donations to the rescue. And, And, you know, when Boogie started having issues that I had to learn how to deal with, behavioral issues, that's kind of when... What I was doing um, shifted into dog behavior, dog training material, and and now this is what I do. This has become <laughs> my life. Yeah. So so it all happened very organically. I mean, I didn't really plan to be where I am today. That's <laughs> really yeah. I was you know reading up on it. I was pretty fascinated because it really does seem to have grown just organically out of things that you were doing. You know, just out of passion. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'm really lucky that I've been able to make a living doing the things that I'm you know, genuinely interested in. Right. Well, okay. So we can't talk about your work drawing animals without talking about Boogie, your rescued Boston Terrier that you mentioned, who sadly passed last mm-hmm. year. 
Um, so your yes. path into dog body language began because Boogie got you into a little bit of trouble, didn't he? Yes. So I adopted Boogie in around, I think it was 2007. He was about three years old and he was his perfect little happy little Boston Terrier. So, so we thought. And then one day he, um, he bit my building manager oh. in the apartment complex where I was renting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was my fault for, you know, I wasn't actually there when it happened, but he was on my porch and she walked by and he ran up and put a hole in her leg. Oof. So that was, <laughs> it was really shocking and devastating. And I was fairly clueless about dog body language at the time. Mm-hmm. I just, all I could think of was I need to fix this problem. I need to, um, not be evicted because I was right. I got issued an eviction ultimatum either get rid of your dog or move out. Right. And um, to cut a long story short, I had the support of my neighbors. So I petitioned my neighbors. I made lots of phone calls. I talked to lots of people. Um, that was kind of how I got into how I got interested in dog training. In the beginning, I didn't know it. I was just Googling. I mean, that was my information, the television and Google. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, I had to, in order to keep Boogie and stay in my apartment, I had to guarantee to my landlord that I could fix the problem mm. and hire a dog trainer. So I Googled the first dog trainer and they put him on a prong collar and I had to correct him every time he looked at somebody on the street or even oh. looked at another dog. And it was a very harsh um, obedience training right. package um, that involved lots of corrections and pushing him down to make him stay. And and he he got worse. He got um, he became even more nervous around strangers mm-hmm. and the aggressive episodes actually increased he would lunge very suddenly at people and oh. um i mean he became more obedient because you know he was getting punished but he was less friendly around people so um yeah so that's how it started and i wrote into dogster.com mm-hmm. to a behavior advice column and Grisha Stewart, who was who is now a very renowned dog trainer, progressive dog trainer, answered my question, um, which was, "How do I make my dog like people?" Right. And <laughs> you know, and she said, "Get rid of the prong collar." She said, "Get rid of the prong collar and yeah. look into something called BAT, which is what I'm developing right now, behavior adjustment training." And you know, I read up on BAT. I I mean, I did a lot of looking on internet forums. And I switched trainers. I hired Sarah Owings, and and she introduced me to a lot of educational material that I wasn't aware of before, like dog body language videos uh-huh. and books, like by um, and one of those was Turit Rugas's book on talking terms, calming signals. And I remember it blowing my mind. Like, I mean, I just didn't know any of this before. And I'm thinking, why is this not on the dog whisperer show? Right. <laughs> you know, why, why, yeah. why don't we know about dog body language? Um, you know, that the dogs don't do these aggressive behaviors off the bat, that there are all these subtler signals of communication when they're uncomfortable. Um, you know, when I crossed over to learning about bat and learning about positive reinforcement training, 
I started uh, journaling, I guess, on a blog. Boogie had a blog. Mm-hmm. Um, I started journaling my experiences, training Boogie, and I had I put drawings in there, and that was how my career shifted into do- drawing dog body language. That's really fantastic. Um, and it's such a nice thing. You know, it's one of the things that we focus on here is education and how, you know, it's like you said, when, when you first get into these situations, people don't necessarily know what's what. They don't know what, you know, what you should and shouldn't do. And so you just kind of go and do a search and you find what you find. So, I mean, I learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, when I share what I've learned, I'm hoping that other people, other dog owners don't have to learn the hard way, don't have to go through what I went through. Right. And they can just go straight to, <laughs> you know. Just go straight to the good part. The- yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it's one of those things. I mean, we offer training classes here at at low cost to just to because a lot of times what we find is that, you know, that's that's the reason that pets are being relinquished to shelters is because people don't necessarily know what to do with them. Um and it and it makes it, you know, it makes life difficult for for both the owner and the dog. Um so Exactly. Yeah, you know. it's very stressful. It's very stressful having a reactive and aggressive dog. Yeah. yeah. Um so how did Bookie's passing affect your work? Um, so it was extremely hard. It was very, very painful. Um, I mean, I knew it would be because he had lived with me for 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I adopted him when he was three and he passed away when he was 16. And he was by my side 24-7 every day because uh, I work from home. So to not have him here, it just felt like the whole chunk of myself was missing. Right. And I I actually couldn't – I was just talking to somebody this morning about how I wasn't able to read any dog books or watch any shows with oh, dogs in them. Yeah, sure. I couldn't read any dog articles. I'm like, I mean, even if I watched like a, a – I mean, even academic books, like textbooks with about dogs, you know, I would start yeah. crying. So I, I did take a break from all that and uh, until, you know, the apartment I was living in got too quiet and so mm. I adopted some cats. That's how it goes. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I would love to have another dog sometime in the future, but I'm just not ready yet. Sure, sure. Yeah, it takes, it takes time. Um, well, yeah. let's talk about your cats, Mambo and Shimmy. Um, you know, they're a little bonded pair, aren't they? Yes, they are. Um, I do, we adopted them from Sante Door Rescue in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And uh, we wanted a bonded pair because, I guess, because um, I've been told that it's, cats do better in pairs. Yeah, if they're a bonded and, pair, uh, <laughs> yeah, they do, they do great. Yeah, and these two, I mean, they're just so adorable. They love each other. They snuggle, they cuddle, they groom each other they play together Aww. but they are completely different personalities well your infographics and books for dog trainers uh, veterinary behaviorists and shelters are, are well known in the animal welfare world especially your doggy language poster which went viral how did you get started doing that kind of work when i started doing this kind of work it wasn't really with any intention to be educational i was just making notes for myself so um, as I mentioned earlier, Boogie, my dog, had a blog, um, mm-hmm. and I kind of journaled or wrote about my training experiences and everything I was reading and learning. I would write a blog post and illustrate it. So um, doggy language was kind of a it 
was a result of me reading Turit Rutgers and learning about dog body language. And I just felt like I, I, you know, it was really for fun to, to put together an illustration of Boogie and all his different poses and different moods and feelings. Yeah. And, um, but, um, yeah, the fact that it went viral took me by surprise. But yeah, I guess it hasn't really been done, not in a cartoony way. I mean, there no. are very serious, th- there are lots of amazing books on dog body language, but they're usually textbooks that are quite big and chunky and with right. lots of photographs. So I, I think I, sh- you know, I think I showed that to Grisha Stewart. And so it sort of, those, drawings went in her book her first book behavior adjustment training and uh i also shared them with dr sophia yin Mm -hmm. and then she came up with a dog bite prevention program uh which included body language of fear and stress in dogs uh so so yeah so i started getting hired by different dog training professionals and behaviorists to illustrate stress signals uh, and it kind of just snowballed from there, you know. Let's um, let's talk about the book. Uh, one of the things yeah. that I, I really liked about the book um, was the way that it's divided up into eyes, tails, posture, categories like that. But then it also cross-references signals that might mean different things in different contexts. Now, I'm a cat guy, um, not as familiar with dog body language. So kind of seeing those separate pieces of the puzzle uh, together um, – you know, to get the big picture, that that's always been really confusing to me. So I found that aspect of the book really helpful. What was the process of putting this book together like? Um, I actually had a lot of fun putting the book together. Um, you know, to give a bit of backstory, I was approached by Summersdale Publishers, and they had seen my doggy language post, and they wanted that in a book form. And at first, I I said to them, well, it's a free download. I'm not sure anyone will buy a book if they can get it for free. And But they were convinced that it would do well as a book. Um, so I put together a proposal with Boogie, mm-hmm. which is just basically, you know, a, a copy of the poster. And then they right. changed their mind and said, well, how about, you know, how do you feel about uh, having many different dog breeds, as many different types of dogs as possible? And uh, which was kind of more exciting to me because, you know, it's something new and I'm not just rehashing something I'd already done. Right. So, uh, so that was really exciting because I could research and, and, you know, I got a lot of photo references from friends Mm -hmm. and their dogs and, you know, also Barbara Hanneman's book and uh, the Turret Rugas book, internet videos. Um. I also did get a lot of uh, advice and feedback mm-hmm. from behavior professionals, so I can't take all the credit for everything. Um, you know, the, the list of names is on in the back of the book, so mm-hmm. I got some great feedback, and I was very um, careful with the language I used because I wanted to make it accessible. It's meant it's it's not supposed to be an educational book about dog body language. It's supposed to be a gift book. Right. That is the genre of book it is supposed to be. So it's meant to be um, easy and accessible and light and fun. Mm-hmm. So I worked very hard to make sure that it wasn't too jargony, that I, you know, it was kind of yeah. you know, stayed away from jargony words. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I guess, you know, I mean, in terms of like how I categorize the chapters, I mean, that just, I don't know, just, that's just how I learned it for myself. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's very important, extremely important to know that that context is everything, which is why um, I had that chapter in the back of the book, Know the Difference. I mean, behaviors that look very similar don't necessarily mean the same thing like i mean even a dog wagging their tail which is typically considered to be a friendly behavior may not be friendly right. I mean, depending on how the tail is wagging how the whole body looks and what the context is um it could the dog could be stressed it could be over aroused could be um feeling about to do something aggressive it, it really depends so so that was a you know that was something I wanted to drive home. Yeah. And it, it's great that it, that it does a great job of it. Um, are we getting a follow-up? Are we getting a kitty language book? <laughs> so I've had so many people ask me this, um, mm-hmm. including my publisher, <laughs> Is it really? but I, I feel like I need a bit more time to learn about my cat. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> get to know my cat, get to know Mumbo and Shimmy. Yep. I am reading, I am researching, I am like attending webinars and, and, trying to get educated on cats so yeah i love to do a key language book but but i couldn't tell you when exactly okay well we'll we'll keep an eye out okay um if people want to find you where should they go um so my book has a website which is doggylanguagebook.com that's d-o-g-g-i-e languagebook.com i also have my own website which is which shows you all the different things i do including my online shop mm-hmm. and that is doggy drawings.net d-o-g-g-i-e drawings.net um and i think those two places will sort of show you where everything else is yeah well, Lily Chen, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, the book Doggy Language, A Dog Lover's Guide to Understanding Your Best Friend is available wherever you buy your books. I do want to throw in a plug for IndieBound.org and Bookshop.org so you can shop locally um, and help out independent bookstores. Lily Chen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking with you. We just passed Black Cat Appreciation Day on August 17th, also coincidentally my birthday. There's also National Black Cat Day on October 27th, Black Cat Friday in November, and Black Cat Appreciation Month, which is October. So what's all the hubbub, bub? Why so much fuss over black cats? Well, it's in part because in some parts of the world, even in 2021, superstitions abound when it comes to black cats. So any chance we have to get the word out that they're actually really cool, nice, and fun to be around, we're all about it. As Groucho Marx said, quote, a black cat crossing your path signifies that the animal is going somewhere, end quote. No evil, just a cat doing its thing. But the other reason, as the story goes, is that they get adopted less often from shelters than other colored cats. There's some debate on this point, and there was a 2013 study from the ASPCA that seemed to indicate that this wasn't the case, but that seems to have mysteriously disappeared from the internet. Other studies have mostly indicated that it's true. Kinda. The real truth is that there are just more black cats and dogs in shelters than their other colored counterparts. In fact, black cats make up about one-third of the shelter cat population. And on average, they do take longer to get adopted. Not by much, but even just a little bit of waiting in the shelter environment can be detrimental to a cat's well-being. 
So if you're thinking about getting a new friend, how about a black cat? They're just as varied in personality as any other type of cat, so there's definitely one out there for you, and they're all unique. They can have hidden tabby patterns on them. Some of them grow little old cat white hairs as they get older. And the National Institute of Health has done studies indicating that the genetic mutation that makes them all black in the first place might actually be responsible for resistance to certain diseases like FIV. All in all, we say black cats get a 10 out of 10. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks to Lily Chen for being on the show today. You can check out her work at doggydrawings.net and her book, Doggy Language, A Dog Lover's Guide to Understanding Your Best Friend, is available wherever books are sold. As for us, we're a nonprofit trying to keep pets and people together, and you can help. Just head on over to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, shop our store, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, be sure to rate us and leave us a review that helps new people find us. And for all the latest news, please follow us on social media. We're at PRR Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. So until next time, tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the writer Terry Pratchett wrote, in ancient times, cats were worshipped as gods. They have not forgotten us. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, produced and hosted by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro. Recorded, mixed, and edited by Dave Shapiro. Music by Hazel Ra Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Ra Musical Industries. 